Welcome to episode four of Now We're Talking, a podcast about communication skills with Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo. Uh, I showed the first couple of, or I let my, my kids listen to the first couple of episodes, and they let me know that it was a bit boring, and if I wanted to have more listeners, I needed to either tell some jokes or convey some more enthusiasm. So upon my oldest son's recommendation, he thought I should open this episode with a joke and here's the joke. Where does George Bush hide his armies? In his sleeves. <laughs> anyway, he thought if I opened with the joke, more people would be entertained and more people would want to listen to the rest of the podcast. I sense he's probably wrong, but uh, I promised him I would tell the joke anyway. Uh, the joke, but w- what's clever about my son is that he's actually onto something. Uh, what he's on to is an illustration of the point I've been trying to make in the first couple of episodes of this podcast, that communication is about the effects that you have, not the, not the transmission of information. So if I have the effect of boring my audience, then odds are they're not going to want to come back and listen to more. If I have the effect of entertaining them, making them feel good, making them laugh, odds are they're going to want to come back and more and listen to more episodes. Unfortunately, I'm not really a comedian Uh, I do my best to make my students laugh in class. It doesn't come out quite the same in the podcast. Anyway, so I might not be able to meet my son's expectations for entertainment value, but at least I'll try and convey a little bit more enthusiasm. Um, Maybe that will get uh, the audience excited. Uh, Today, I want to keep talking about interpersonal communication. We've talked about it for the last couple of uh, episodes. I want to talk about it again today. Um, And then maybe we'll transition to some things about writing or speaking or uh, teamwork or small group communication or something else. Um, But it got me thinking, um, my son's concerns about the audience got me thinking uh, about a couple of or two of the kind of key, two other key interpersonal practices. One interpersonal practice is a particularly terrible thing to do and something you should look out for with your friends or your partners or Uh, other people and look out for in yourself and monitor it to try and uh, stop it and the other is another one of those like mirroring another uh, really beneficial uh, sort of practice so on the one hand today so we're going to talk about two things today on the one hand we're going to talk about what i call communicative narcissism and on the other hand we're going to talk about what i call interpretive kindness and they're kind of related and opposites uh, and related as opposites in a certain way so in my, I taught small group communication for a long time, and I teach an online course called Teamwork, in which we talk about the principles of small group communication a whole bunch. And as part of that class, uh, we always talk about how you know when a teammate or another person is kind of going wrong, or what a good index is of telling there's going to be a problem within a team or within an interpersonal dynamic. And I use the phrase communicative narcissism to identify Uh, the attribute in a person that will likely derail an interpersonal relationship or derail a team's work. And uh, I guess to to put it as simply as I can put it, a communicative narcissist is someone who only wants to talk about things that they want to talk about, 
only wants to talk about their perception, their beliefs, their actions, their understandings, their view of the world, without considering the other person's view of the world or the rest of the group's view of the world or the rest of the group's considerations or concerns. Uh, now, we are all, every one of us, in some sense, communicative narcissists. We all want to talk about ourselves. We all want to talk about what we believe, how we feel, what we think. And all of us do this. We would have nothing to talk about sometimes if we didn't talk about our own beliefs and our own feelings and our own attitudes. However, um, the communicative narcissist also does this, introduces their own beliefs, their own opinions, their own concerns at inappropriate or untimely moments and does so without any check or without any sort of, um, without any uh, respect for the fact that their position or their perspective is limited and fallible and, um, and not the only possible perspective. So um, I, I teach this class, or used to teach this class called Small Group Communication at the University of Waterloo. And the class is a kind of funny experiment uh, at least, well, the kids, the students don't always find it funny at first. They find it horrifying and troubling sometimes. But uh, my class usually opens where I just bring in the syllabus and I sit there and I do nothing. And I wait for them to kind of organize themselves into a group and to see if anyone will take on leadership roles to see how they start, they'll start interacting with one another. It usually goes really badly for a while. Um, and one of the, the central reasons it goes really badly for a while, and sometimes the whole semester, is that everyone in the classroom thinks that the objective of the interaction is to get their position heard or understood. So it's a mess for a while, and then someone says, oh, I think as a group we should do X. And then that X is met with a bunch of other people in the group saying, I, I think that's a bad idea, I think we should do Y, or I think that's a good idea, but I think we should also do this. And we spend hours with everyone in the room just announcing their own beliefs and their own feelings about particular uh, possibilities for the group. And it, do it doesn't go well. It goes terribly. And uh, lots of people end up with their feelings hurt. Uh, some people end up very frustrated with the class. It's because I'm in a room with or we're sur surrounded with communicative narcissists, people that are focused solely on their own set of beliefs or attitudes or opinions without any sense that those beliefs, attitudes, or opinions are uh, conditional, are uh, limited, and without any desire to listen to or to comprehend other people's positions, attitudes, or opinions. So there's virtually no of the kinds of active listening that we talked about a couple of, uh, last episode. There's no, none of the mirroring, none of that happens. We just have a bunch of communicative narcissists running around. So the, how does this translate into interpersonal communication? Well, I, one of the central things you're after in a, in, a, in a good, positive, productive interpersonal relationship is a relative balance or some relative equity between communicative narcissism and active listening. In other words, uh, and we'll talk about in some episode at some point, we'll talk about self-disclosure and how important self-disclosure is to interpersonal relationships. You need to tell things to other people about yourself. If you're going to have a successful friendship, a successful partnership, you need to tell your partner or your friend how you feel, what you believe, what you think about certain things. But if you're only doing that, if you're not doing that in a relative equitable fashion to active listening, then odds are the relationship is not going to be, it's going to be dysfunctional in some kind of way. 
So one kind of litmus test for a dysfunctional um, or not very um, positive interpersonal relationship is the extent to which there is inequity uh, between the both partners um, and how much they disclose about themselves or how much they tell their other partner about what they feel or think. So if one partner is always doing all the listening and never saying anything about what they really think and the other partner is always just talking about everything that they think and believe and feel, the one partner is a communicative narcissist and there's an inequity in listening and in speaking and that's a sure sign there's, there's gonna be some kind of core dysfunction in the relationship. So communicative narcissism is really about and deep imbalance between active listening and active self-disclosure in an interpersonal relationship. It's a, it's a fundamental imbalance, and it's an imbalance that uh, turns all communicative interactions into interactions about one party's feelings, beliefs, attitudes, or opinions. When that happens in small group work, and we'll talk about it at some point in small group communication in a later episode, when that happens in small group work, it's particularly destructive for the team's efficiency, the team's efficacy, the team's functional ability to achieve its goal when there's a, the presence of a communicative narcissist that only wants to talk about what they, they've experienced. So I, I've been in, in meetings before. I was in this crazy meeting with a bunch of people from other faculties, and this guy wanted to talk about his, his cottage and how many bears he shot recently. It was an insane conversation. It was a form of self-disclosure, and self-disclosure can be really good at uh, producing intimacy and interpersonal relationships, but it was so inappropriate, and it was so un inequitable with all the other members of the, the table that we were sitting there with a group of about five of us, and no one else got to say anything for like 30 minutes. We had to listen to this guy talk about his bear shooting uh, escapades in some northern Ontario cabin. Um, he was an example of a communicative narcissist, not because of the simple act of self-disclosure, but because of the deep inequity between his ability to actively listen and his ability to self-disclose about his opinions, beliefs, and feelings, and attitudes. Um, so what we're after in interpersonal relationships, or healthy ones at least, is general equity between self-disclosure and uh, active listening. And maybe I should talk about self-disclosure in the next episode, actually. Um, anyway, so we'll avoid communicative narcissists in both teamwork and in both interpersonal encounters. And watch out yourself. If you're acting as a communicative narcissist, you have to stop yourself, stop the self-disclosure, stop saying everything about what you think and what you feel, and start doing some active listening instead. On the, the, the reason why communicative narcissism can be such a bad thing is that our interpersonal relationships are always guided by our perception and our interpretation of our partner. And that's part of, also part of the reason that tone is so important. Uh, because it colors our interpretation of our partner's words. But there's lots of other things, other factors that influence our interpretation of others. And this is these factors are important because they indicate the extent to which my perspective or my opinion is a partial or um, it, it's it's not necessarily an objectively true opinion. It never is that. It's an opinion that's been that's partial, that's been colored by my perception. So our degree of involvement with another person, uh, that skews our perception. We view people with whom we have uh, or seek a relationship more favorably than people we don't have a relationship with. Our relational satisfaction, so when our relationship is satisfying, 
we interpret behaviors differently. Our past experience, our expectation, our knowledge of other people, they all color our perception of others. There might be also be physiological influences on our perception and interpretation. My friends and I used to use the word hangry to describe when our hunger is likely to make us more angry and interpret things in a hostile way. So our level of fatigue, our general health, our mood, they might all influence our perception and interpretation of another. Social scientists use the term attribution to describe the process of attaching meaning to some behavior or practice. And we know that attribution is influenced by our perceptual tendencies. So for example, um, we tend to think, uh, or we, um, we tend to judge ourselves more charitably than we judge other people. And that's called the self-serving bias. That that's the tendency to protect our self-esteem by blaming someone else in a situation for our failure and taking credit for our success. So in my interpersonal communication course, if I, we have a communicative narcissist, they're explaining to others what they, what they think we should be doing. They'll say, oh, my idea is a great idea. It's just everyone else that's not listening very well. Um, and so when we suffer, we actually blame other people instead of ourselves for our suffering. That's also a sign of a communicative narcissist, someone that does that. Uh, that tendency leads to biased perceptions. And those biased perceptions have significant influences on our relationships. Uh, we also, by the way, cling to first impressions. And those, are first, those first impressions are, are not really reliable or not always reliable. Once we have a first impression, we tend to see other things as supporting the first impression, which clouds our interpretation of a person or event. And sometimes we assume other people are like us and have the same attitudes or motives. But those assumptions also lead to, or can lead to interpersonal conflict when we realize that other people have different attitudes or motives. So uh, a good partner doesn't act as a communicative narcissist, balances self-disclosure with active listening, but a good partner also avoids making unjustified assumptions, avoids attribution errors, and is aware of factors that might influence and bias his or her perception or interpretation of others. So a communicative narcissist never does this. A communicative narcissist thinks that their assumptions are always justified, their attributions are always correct, and their perception is always accurate. But a good partner knows to not make an unjustified assumption, knows to worry about or try to avoid attribution errors, and knows that there are lots of factors that influence and bias my own, my own perception, my own interpretation of others. What a good partner does is engage in interpretive kindness, um, which is a way of trying to perceive or interpret others more accurately. So because distorted perceptions and interpretations, so, okay, what happens is if I have a distorted perception or interpretation, that's going to negatively influence communication and interpersonal relationships. Um, for example, if I uh, have this perception, if, if I'm if I'm hangry and I want to talk to my partner and I'm not aware that my hunger is causing me to have an angry tone, even though the content of the thing that I'm trying to express might not have in it some anger, I'll express that anger. I'll be unaware of the way in which my I'm 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 perceiving the situation incorrectly because. Of, I'm unaware of how anger is, is uh, controlling my perception. And then I'll have uh, this kind of interpersonal communication problem uh, at hand. So uh, 
because these distorted perceptions and interpretations negatively influence communication, we ought to find some practices that will help promote better and more accurate perceptions and interpretations. And one of my favorite is called perception checking. And it works to that end. So a good partner uses perception checking when they're, they're uncertain. A perception check describes a particular behavior, articulates at least two possible interpretations of that behavior, and requests for clarification of the meaning of the behavior. So instead of, if my partner comes home and they seem a little bit frustrated or angry, I could say to him or her, you know, why are you mad at me? Or, and that's going to put, that kind of question is going to put my partner on the defensive. Or instead of saying that, I can ask my partner, you know, when you just slammed the door when you came in, I wasn't sure if you were mad at me or if you're just frustrated with the way your day turned out. So how are you feeling about things? That's a perception check. You are articulating two possible interpretations of a behavior. And uh, by, by simply articulating your own understanding of the meaning of some behavior, while leaving an open-ended sort of sense that the, your partner might choose one or the other or choose something you haven't articulated. Uh, this form of perception checking requires that a person observes the other person and tries to describe the in, an individual interpretation of the other. It's supposed to allow you to understand others without assuming that our first interpretation is correct. Because the goal, one of the goals of interpersonal communication is mutual understanding, perception checking is a cooperative form of communication, and it signals an attitude of respect and concern for our partner. This allows us to interpret person, a person's actions more accurately, but it doesn't allow us to fully understand the other person. Uh, so empathy, which is also part of interpretive kindness, is the ability to experience the world from another's perspective. It is, in a deep sense, the opposite of communicative narcissism. It involves taking on an alternative perspective and demonstrating genuine concern for our partner. Full empathy would require both an affective understanding of our partner's emotional state and an intellectual understanding of our partner's position. Empathy might not be fully possible, but it can orient our interpretation of our partner and it can mitigate errors in perception and interpretation. So perception checking is, is the first skill you can master in terms of, of interpretive kindness uh, and the ability to be empathetic by taking on another's perspective and demonstrating genuine concern is the second uh, way you can practice interpretive kindness. The recipient of empathy often feels better and feels comforted. An empathic person is open-minded because he or she is able to set aside their own beliefs, attitudes, and values in order to consider someone else's. We might be tempted, and I'm all, as I often am, to think or say, that's crazy, but we must suspend that temptation and resist the urge to evaluate or judge a position. We must also have an imagination to picture another's backgrounds and thoughts. So, okay, let me back up for a second. I use this phrase, that's crazy, all the time. Sometimes I say it in class accidentally, um, my students the other day told me like Pokemon was one of the greatest games ever. And my initial reaction was like, that's crazy. I don't even understand Pokemon is this ridiculous thing. It's crazy. Um, I, when I'm saying that, I'm saying that from the position of a communicative narcissist. I'm thinking about my own beliefs, opinions, and perspective on, on Pokemon. If I'm going to be empathetic, I need to take on another person's perspective and try to demonstrate some concern so that I understand what it's really like to be someone who plays a lot of Pokemon and likes Pokemon. Um, empathy, so, so 
I can ask a series of questions or I can say, oh, I can see that the thing you really like about, about Pokemon is it allows you to take on these other attributes. I, I don't really know anything about Pokemon, so what do I know? But I could try to articulate what I see as some core features of Pokemon and ask the other person, is this why you like it? To try and see if I'm getting at or if I'm able to take on that other person's perspective. So that ability to be empathetic is supplements or is a kind of interpretive kindness in addition to perception checking. Uh, we know that our idiosyncratic perspective on the world will cause us to have biased perceptions and interpretations of others. We know this. We can't avoid these biases because they're the result of our experiences. If we know this, then we know that our, in our interpersonal relationships could be harmed by our biased perceptions and interpretations. So to countermand that possibility or tendency, we can exercise this interpretive kindness. So a good partner practices interpretive kindness as the virtue of manifesting a concern for others and allowing our perception of another to be guided by non-judgmental empathy. And again, that is the opposite of communicative narcissism. These kinds of acts of kindness resist that narcissistic tendency to interpret people through our own idiosyncratic perspective. So um, I think it's also to, to important to note that those acts of kindness are contagious between partners and they can aid cooperation, mutual understanding, and the development of trust and intimacy. Those are the effects of perception checking and empathic understanding. The, let me say those again. If I perception check, you get the effect of cooperation, mutual understanding, and trust and intimacy. If I train to be empath empathetic, I get the perception check, uh, I get, sorry, I get the uh, effect of cooperation, mutual understanding, and development of trust and intimacy. Those are the outcomes. Uh, I also like to sometimes th tell my students about mercy as an extension of interpretive kindness because it implies a level of forgiveness. Given the fact that our own perceptions will always be idiosyncratically our own, when we engage in interpretive kindness, we may realize that our partner has substantially different views and beliefs. These substantially different views and beliefs may include harsh evaluations of us uh, or of others that we like. And perceptual differences can easily be the source of conflict. So sometimes a good partner needs to be forgiving of differences that might offend or challenge one's sense of self or one's main beliefs. And so mercy is kind of like an, a, a, an ultimate form of interpretive kindness. And it too can be contagious between partners and can aid mutual understanding and intimacy. All right, we're running out of time, mostly because I had to tell that silly joke for, uh, for, for my oldest son at the beginning. Um, so let me kind of wrap this one up. Uh, I think those are, are three great things to be aware of in interpersonal relationships, communicative narcissism and balancing self-disclosure with our own narcissistic tendency to express our beliefs, perception checking, and empathic understanding. Uh, if we do those three things, we're going to be better partners and we're going to get more out of our interpersonal relationships. So I'm going to sign off on episode four of Now We're Talking, and uh, hopefully you like this episode. We'll be back next week with episode five. I'm not so sure what we'll talk about yet. Maybe we'll keep going with interpersonal communication for a while longer. So take care, everyone, and have a good week. Bye.